Hi, I'm Dale Doherty. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by 3D Experience SolidWorks for Makers, design tools for your hobbies and personal projects. It's easy to learn, fun to use, and just $99 a year or $9.99 a month. Design, create, share. What do you want to make with 3D Experience SolidWorks for Makers today? I'm joined today by Jasmine Florentine, who just published her first book, and it's called Hex Allen and the Clanksmiths. It's a book for middle schoolers. First of all, welcome, Jasmine. Nice to talk to you. Thank you so much. It's an honor, honestly. <laughs> Tell me, when in your life did you start making stuff, or how did that sort of emerge as part of who you are? So I would basically, as long as I remember, but a lot of it was channeled into arts and crafts at first, just because right. I didn't really know about, I don't know, like engineering and like electronics or any of that. It wasn't quite introduced to that. So I was doing a lot of things like drawing and origami and scavenging things around the house and assembling them into weird things. And it wasn't really until I got to college that I found out what engineering was and was, oh, it's just making things. Like, this is great. Yeah. yeah. It's funny that it is that simple in a way, but sometimes it gets portrayed as, well, you got to be this math person. You got to do all these other things. And sometimes I find in some of the schools in their recruitment of engineers end up with people who actually don't have a desire to make things. They just found their way into engineering because they had good math scores and which is fine, but it's just a different path. But it's fair to like engineering is a hugely broad field and there's parts of it that are like much more theory and math heavy and parts of it that are much more hands-on and making heavy. Like I went into mechanical engineering with a focus on product design. So then there's a lot more of an emphasis on, okay, most of the math is going to be back of the envelope calculations. Right. And then you're going to actually be prototyping something to figure out if it works. But if you're doing something that's, I don't know, right. complicated fluid so, analysis, then you're mean, probably diving the I don't mean to disparage math. I think it's another tool in the tool chest. And actually that back of the envelope calculation thing is quite a good way to 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 look at things. It sounds like if you were in product design, essentially that's prototyping, isn't it? I always felt like the maker movement really is a revolution, not so much in manufacturing, but in prototyping and that you can make things faster, easier. And therefore, if they don't work out, you just make it again. Where there used to be a penalty to having to start over and you had to get the design perfect before you made the thing. And that was a different way of looking at developing a product. Whenever anybody asks me about 3D printing, I'm always like, originally I saw it as just a fun toy until I actually was seeing how it was getting used in product development and seeing how like I was, I guess I was still working at places that were doing it the way they used to, which is they would sit in the CAD model to get mill in China and then shipped over. And that was an expensive process. And then suddenly with 3D printing. You just print it and the next day you're like, oh, great, this prototype works. So yeah. Or it doesn't. <laughs> or it doesn't. You more likely it doesn't <laughs> the first few times. So you went to MIT and you got a BS and an MS in mechanical engineering. Is that right? What was that experience like? I'm not an MIT person. And, and what is that like also as a woman going into MIT these days? I loved it. I was really nervous going in because I wasn't one of those people who was like on the math team and core math sciences in that way. I liked 
math and science as much as I liked any other subject. I think senior, no, junior year in high school, it really started to make sense to me. I really started to enjoy it. But I applied to engineering school sort of from encouragement from friends and teachers who were like, oh, you're good at math and science. You should at least visit and see what you think. And once I visited and saw like robotics and product design and all that, it seemed really exciting. But it really took me the first year there to actually feel like I deserve to be there. I guess for a long time, I've had this, I don't know, chip on my shoulder of, oh, I only got in because I was born. Maybe I wasn't qualified enough. And unfortunately, part of that actually came from something that somebody had told me, which was basically, oh, you're only getting in. First, they said, you won't get in with those T scores in math. And I said, okay, wait till the SAT2 comes back or my AP scores. Um, Because for whatever reason, I handled the higher level math better than the like basic SAT math. Just came back and then she said, oh, you'll get in because you're a woman, but you won't like it. And so that entire first year, I guess I was really nervous. And it wasn't until I started realizing that I was doing well in my classes and I was really enjoying things. And I was being challenged, but everybody was being challenged and we were all being together that I really felt like, oh, I belong here. And then when I started taking more mechanical engineering and product design classes, I was like, this is really fun and a way for me to also use my creativity. Which is a strength. I like to think that MIT is looking for those kinds of people. If you go to RISD or other schools where they get the creative people that don't have necessarily, they get the design background, but they don't have the engineering. You go to the engineering side and you get people that don't have that design or creativity. They're kind of two worlds that want to meet in the middle somewhere more often. Yeah, I think so. I didn't get it. I've never taken courses at RISD, but my senior year at MIT, I took courses at uh, MassArt, which also has an industrial design program. And it was really cool seeing what product design looks like from their perspective. And I think for me, I really wanted to be somewhere in the middle. Like I wanted to think about the user design and how it looked, but I also wanted to make it work or understand from a technical perspective. To me, it's like the two of them go hand in hand and I wanted to be somewhere in the middle. Give me an example of a project you did at school that was a product. Where did the idea come from and how did you develop it? Yeah. So one of my favorite projects, this is actually a graduate school project, was for a product design class where the challenge was so we were working with this nearby place that sort of did puzzle adventures for kids. This is before escape rooms, but it had a similar vibe. And they were making a new one that was going to be science fiction themed. So the challenge for the class was go and make something science fiction themed. And our team was just, wow, we get to feel like Disney Imagineers here. And so we decided early on that we just wanted to make a really ridiculous over-the-top science fiction door. I'm not really sure how we settled on that. I think it was just because whatever you watch all those sci-fi movies, they always have all the external bits and the lights and just extra pneumatics and movements and stuff. And so the process we went through, actually, I had a really amazing team, including people who came from an industrial design background and people who came from a mechanical engineering background. And the product design process we went through was booked in the way we went through it. And it was a really great learning experience for me, learning for my teammates. So we started with all the drawings of all of our ideas and stuff. Originally, we wanted to make like an aperture style door, camera shutter with six leaves. We built some prototypes of that. We realized it wasn't going to work because to make a proper one, you actually have to have some of the leaves go underground, which wouldn't have worked, even though we tried different ways of fudging it. And in the end, what we had was something that was like two leaves 
that rotate and open and have these lights go. And it's all driven by pneumatics. So it makes this really satisfying like, sound. So it's not product design in the traditional sense of something that a consumer would buy. We went through basically the same process and it was just such fun project. It's consistent with what I will see like at a maker fair that always interests me is, and I think it's a new area. It's really interactive installations in a way, things that you come up to and say, what does it do? It's not a product. It's an experience. It plays with us, that thing. And a lot of times in a humorous way, it makes us laugh or it makes us associate something like fantasy. So what did you do when you got out of school, finished your, your master's program? I went and worked for First Robotics, which I think you, I'm sure you know about for anybody who doesn't, it's a great nonprofit. And so I was there on the engineering team as a mechanical engineer designing the fields that the robots would play on. One of the fun things for me was like during the interview, they were like, oh, we saw you also do art. We started theming the games. How would you feel about doing art was part of your job? And I was like, wow, this is the dream job because... One of the struggles I had when I came out of college before going back for my master's was finding a way to bridge that gap of engineering and art. And a lot of companies were like, yeah, but it says you're an engineer on your degree, so you're doing engineering. And so in this case, I got I think 80% of my time as engineering, but 20% was also making it look themed and making it look really cool. So we had steampunk field and like a space themed field. And it was a really fun and fulfilling job. And then I left the U.S., so I had to leave the job. That sounds like a fun experience. Maybe FIRST Robotics could be a little more fun, not just functional, but fun. One of the maker fairs I really like is our maker fair in Tokyo, and they have lots of robots, but they're all in costume. They're all characters, and it might be a sumo robot. It might be something along those lines, but that's very playful, and getting that sort of connection together of the play and the function is nice. Sounds really cool. So you moved to Israel at that point? And, yeah. Ireland, okay. <laughs> and then ends in Israel, the spouse is in academia, so we move around a lot, yeah. and we're going to be moving again shortly. But, oh. So yeah, that was actually when we found out we were moving again from Ireland to Israel, that's when I decided to actually try freelance, just because I was starting to get a little silly looking for... So what kind of freelance work do you do? I've done some just engineering design so like i worked on a race car helmet that like had a eeg built into it and so that was a very interesting design challenge but a lot of what i've been doing lately has actually been more in stem content creation when i worked at first i really fell in love with stem education and i was already moving in that direction with the book and so with freelance what happened was actually i started making paper robots for fun with the micro bit and those sort of took off i guess because of that i got introduced into to a lot of people and organizations working in the STEM ed space for younger kids than what I was working with at first. And so, yeah, I've been doing everything from the project design and curriculum design and working on like different kits and stuff. So it's been a lot of fun. Let's go into your book a little bit and then we'll come back to maybe the education ideas. But so you just published a book, a graphical book called Hex, Allen and the Clanksmiths. So tell us about your idea for that book and how it developed. Yeah, so I came up with the idea around graduate school, and I think part of it was just based on my own experience of feeling like I fell into engineering by lucky accident. Before I applied to MIT, I didn't even really know what engineering was. And then again, I think especially women are not necessarily encouraged in the same way. So I wanted to put in something that like 
made engineering fun and approachable and also just show kids what it was because like again I didn't really know until college and even when I'd go home and tell people what I was studying they'd be like oh so you're building bridges and like let's civil engineers there's other parts of engineering yeah so I wanted to make a book that was showcasing STEM with a focus on engineering and kind of came to the idea of a fantasy world where engineering is feels more like the magic to make the engineering center and something that it is the thing everybody wants to do. And suppose to the real world where it's like, oh, normal things. And then like magic's so cool. So I actually, the original idea was going to be a graphic novel. And then I thought that it would be too difficult to illustrate a graphic novel and thought, oh, a book will be easier to write. And it's wrong. Books are really hard to write. And it took a That's long true. time. Yeah, Whoops. Glad I didn't know how hard it was. or not sure I would have attempted it. Um, a lot of things, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I went through a lot of iterations. What finally came out was like it originally had an inverse wizard school kind of thing where it was like engineering school that was hidden within like the magical world. But what it is now is more of like a fantasy adventure where the main characters don't actually have magic in a world where everybody else does. So they wind up having to use the like secret mystical arts of STEM and engineering to overcome different challenges. Obviously, the magic is all fiction and the adventure is fiction, but everything they build is something that is actually possible to build in real life. Most of the projects are actually described in the end of the book. There's instructions that are in the form of the main character's design notebook. Nice. So Uh, you could build what's in the book. There's a couple of projects because one of the characters is the chemist where she uses more explosives. So those are not given instructions in the book. But even for those, I actually consulted a friend to just make sure I was getting the details accurate. Good. Um, it is this challenge. And like you could characterize the challenge of getting women into STEM, but it's probably a broader challenge of getting more different kinds of people into STEM. Right. That for some people looks like a great space that as you turned on to it, a place to explore an adventure. Other people get pushed away as almost you did too. That's not for you. You won't like it. You, you get told those things. And it's just like, how do you swing people in that little space where be open to what's there? People say, oh, it's hard. You won't like it. And it's not so much they'll say it like you don't have the ability to do it, but you won't like doing it, which is a preference more than this statement of talent. I was actually just having a conversation with somebody yesterday who she was saying that the issue for women as well as a lot of underrepresented minorities isn't just the pipeline, but also like you get to the stage where you're maybe finally in this career and people are still getting treated differently or judged for who they are and not their qualifications or told they're not qualified and when they already have more qualifications than a lot of people. The place I'm focusing on is the pipeline because that's where I feel my skill set suits. But I do think it's definitely a broader problem. By pipeline, you mean kids in school that choose to focus on STEM uh, subjects. Exactly that. Because especially a lot of that even get lost. I think middle school is usually commonly cited as the age where a lot of, uh, Again, mostly girls start to lose interest or feel like for whatever reason or another, and their scores start to drop comparatively guys. And one of the things that I've loved actually doing a lot of the freelance I've been doing, especially with the micro bit, 
is I've seen, like you were saying earlier, how it some people are just like, oh, you're good at math, go into engineering. But with a lot of the stuff I've been seeing that's more maker oriented, it's become more of this creative free form activity that's more hands-on. And suddenly I feel like you don't see a lot of the discouragement and more of the encouragement of, wow, you made this really awesome thing and approaching STEM in a whole bunch of different ways that are all equally valid. Making a robotic pet is like a super cool, fun thing that might appeal to some kids more than like pencil and paper or text fast. And I think what you're describing is that there are a lot of different ways and a lot of different expressions of this rather than the straight and narrow road sometimes, which STEM looks like. It's like you've got to align with that and you have to do what everybody else is doing. I think making opens it up and says... There are a lot of different ways. And you can also think of yourself as having strengths and weaknesses. You're good at some things, but there are other things that you want to improve on. But you're part of a community that can help you get through certain challenges as well. Your colleagues can help you address some of your weaknesses. Yeah, for sure. One of the makers we like talking to a lot who was on the cover of your magazines is Javon Moss uh, or Anjay. And one of the things that I find amazing about him is he's always, he's, oh, I need to learn facial recognition to build this cool new robot. I'm just going to ask my other maker friends and I'm going to learn how to do it. Yeah. And it's just like that attitude of there's this great community and I'll learn, I'll be able to do it. I think if you probably saw it a bit in first, this idea of being part of a community, a, a part of a team, as opposed to just, this is a highly competitive individual academic pursuit, I think can make a difference in how people consider this, that they belong. They can achieve both their own goals and also some goals in common with other people. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing I would hear a lot from coaches and mentors would be, oh, this student struggled academically and then blossomed when they joined the first team. And I think part of that was just for some kids, it's harder to learn in like the more traditional setup and having the team and the hands-on aspects and all that clicked with them a lot better. You could make the argument that every job out there intersects with technology and increasingly with art. And so getting familiar with things which might be at the core of problem solving is something, it's a pretty generalizable skill and it doesn't matter whether you're in the furniture business or in SpaceX, you have these challenges ahead and they're pretty interesting challenges. Yeah, definitely. I think I found a lot of the, the process that I used to write a book was the same sort of mentality I approached an engineering or a maker project of design and iterate. And I think to your point also, what do you do for kids, especially? I think one of the messages that I took from for product design originally, but applies to making, applies to so many things, is the acceptance of failure as part of the process. And that's something that I try and get through in the book as well, which is like, almost nothing you make is going to work the first time. And so that's where the whole like iterative process comes in of try it again, try and learn from what you did wrong. If you need to do back of the envelope math to, to help you, that's one more tool in your tool set. Sometimes it's faster to just build it. And I think that is one thing that I've been seeing when I've been working with like STEM educators is that they're bringing that mentality to the classroom. The other thing that's important is some schools have access to amazing maker spaces that have 3D printers, laser cutters, like whole electronics labs. Um, and, and some don't. And teachers have 
ask, what do we need to do to get started with a makerspace on a minimum budget? And the answer is just make. I've always thought there's an organic model for makerspaces, which is a teacher once said, I sent a note home to parents and said to send me anything that they're discarding. And we'll put that in and organize it in bins for kids to make stuff with it. And especially with younger kids, it's just like you said, art experiences or assemblage and collaging and things like that. It really is the practice of making, of doing this practice over and over with different materials, different tools. Maybe as you, t as you in high school or later, you begin to get access to more powerful tools, but that's not where you start. And in fact, I, and this might relate to your book a bit, I've often thought that sketching is one of the ways. How do you take an idea that's working in your head and express it so that someone else can see it? A rough sketch is a great way to do that. That Yeah, definitely. So that actually is a big thing in the book. The main character starts by sketching out all these ideas and she very rarely builds them. And when they do, they fail because she feels discouraged the first time they fail and she gets bullied because she doesn't have magic like everyone else. And so part of her character arc and meeting these other people, the Klingsmiths, who like have got experience in STEM and engineering and science, is bridging that gap from, oh, you, you've already been thinking about problem solving when you're drawing these things out. Here's the process to actually go and make them. And here's the confidence to understand that it's okay that it's not going to work the first time. And then even in real life, one of the things that like was drilled into me with the ideation process, like brainstorming, is draw the ideas down. They might look like chicken scratch. That's okay. Just drawing it down will help you start to visualize it and will help you communicate the idea yeah. as well, even if it's yeah. just stick figures. It requires you to make choices. And that's part of how you get it to be real. It can't be everything. It has to have some shape to it. Thanks. That's a really good point. I'm glad that to see that's in your book. A lot of like what I learned at MIT yeah. and what I even and, and at first and everything, I tried like putting that into the book in a simple way for kids. So it was something that was constantly on my mind for a while of like, how do I distill all these concepts? Mm -hmm. Great. Give us some more information on the book. It's available. It is, looks like it's available in the usual places, but it's categorized under juvenile fiction, action and adventure. So you the young adult area. Yeah, like middle grade, which is like yeah. 8 through 12, 8 yeah. through 14. Yeah. Hilariously, the UK Amazon algorithm categorized it in the tools section because the title is Hexalot. That's funny. Good. Do you think you'll do more books? Yeah, originally, like I said, I had been planning to do a graphic novel and chickened out from the amount of illustration. Um, and then went back and read the original script and was like, oh, this is actually pretty hilarious. So... When my book originally got postponed because of COVID, and so I decided to pitch the graphic novel, and now I'm working on that as well. And it's similar, like bringing the stem into the story same kind characters. of thing. Same. Different characters, really? different okay. plot, but okay. like still the, the stem thing. And you'll continue to do freelance work. Yeah, I've been doing freelance for two years, so kind of figuring out like where I want to be. Everything I've done, I've enjoyed so far. So I'm just let's see where this goes. I just... I think we're allied in trying to really get more kids exposed to this hands-on. Ten years ago, I felt like there was a dearth of this in education, meaning hands-on had been left behind somehow. And the focus on testing and other things, a desire to be efficient in education has led them away from hands-on. And when the teachers and others get 
back to it, they realize this is how kids learn and they really like learning this way and they do well. It really motivates them to, to learn subjects that otherwise they might not. And again, I've been talking to someone recently that, you know. Yeah. And it's also more concrete. The test is like right or wrong. Right. But if you're building or making something, I think you might have an idea of what your right or wrong is, but it's not concrete right. in that way. The other thing is things like understand, I mean, just understanding science and engineering might take a lifetime, really. It's really big and hard doing something. You can, you can get some result that is maybe not the result you expected, and maybe it's not perfect. But you learn it's like a parallel way. path. Like when people lecture us, we don't often understand what they're talking about. We might over time, but when we're doing stuff, we have our own sense of what, whether we get it or not. At least for me also, like having, so it, for me, it's more fun learning as part of the process. If somebody's like, go and learn about resistors in a vacuum and I just have to read a textbook, it goes in one ear at the other. If I'm building something and I'm like, oh, now I need to figure out how to use resistors then I actually have a reason to learn it and it becomes a lot more fun. Exactly. So applied learning and and we live in an era where you can command information from anywhere at any time to learn something. But the context of building something and saying, oh, I'm trying to work on a circuit, where does the resistor or what kind of resistor I need? That's a real specific task that you can figure out. I appreciate talking to you today, Jasmine. Is there any final thought or is there something I didn't cover that I should have with you? Oh man, I think that covered a lot. I guess the overall message of everything is anyone can do STEM regardless of their gender, their race, their background. And I think that's what I really try to communicate with everything that it shouldn't be this scary, all oh, that. And yeah, it's for it's creative problem solving and that yeah. takes so many different forms. And everybody has the ability to do it. A pleasure to talk to you today and I wish you well with the book. And it is... Hex Allen and the Clanksmiths. If you have a young person in your life, please go out and check it out. And it's great to see books out there that are a little bit of fantasy, but also grounded in the reality of making things. A nice combination there. Cool. Thank you so much. Makecast is brought to you by the members of Make Community, who support makers in their community and around the world. To learn more about membership, visit make.co.